to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, everybody. This is Daria Brown. Welcome back to the Affect Autism podcast. With me today are two returning guests, psychologist Amanda Kriegel from Floor Time Atlanta, who's also a mother of two teens, has been on the board of directors for the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning um, for about five years now. And we have Mike Fields, who we did the Gaming and Growth podcast with quite a while now. So it's nice to see you back again. He is an Atlanta licensed professional counselor and DIR. They're both DIR expert training leaders, both with Floor Time Atlanta. So uh, welcome back, both of you. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us. It's great to see you. And today's topic is the child as the director. And so what the heck does that mean? But before we get into that, I wanted to say a special thank you to Mike, who filled in for me at ICDL's Parent Support Virtual Meeting a couple of weeks ago when I was occupied with my son. So I got great feedback from the parents about um, you taking over and you're welcome back anytime. And Mike will be our guest DIR expert training leader uh, the first week of April, which will be at a different time, I believe at 2 p.m. Eastern instead of 1. But we can check that at the events tab at Affect Autism. And Amanda will be joining us in a future month too. I forget which month, but... Um, May. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Mike's in April. Amanda's the first Monday in May. So for parents listening that want to um, run any scenarios by these uh, wonderful DIR experts, hope to see you at the parent virtual support drop-in. And again, you can link to that under the events tab at affectautism.com. So, um, you know, when I was thinking the, the reason I thought about the topic for this podcast child as director was um, a couple of situations that came up in the last few weeks where I was describing the process of frustration tolerance. And it sounds like a terrible thing. Like, why do I want to frustrate and have someone tolerate frustration? But it is in the context of uh, growth and development playfully through floor time approach where children might be um, might seem to us to be inflexible around certain things. So an example was a parent who said um, her son likes to watch videos on YouTube. And if anyone tries to look at what he's looking at, or if anyone even comes in the room, he will melt down. Like, I want my privacy. Um, there are numerous situations, and I know you'll both have examples. So... I remember reading in Engaging Autism and hearing Dr. Greenspan say on radio shows or whatever that this frustration tolerance is about when everybody's in a good mood and maybe even in those dedicated floor time sessions, you will um, sort of, you know, creep up and be like, I want to turn too. And the child will be like, no. And then you'll say, oh, oh, okay. And then you'll try again and oh, oh, okay. You didn't like that. And Dr. Greenspan was adamant about saying, let the child be the director. And then there's old floor time videos where he's showing, you know, he's coaching the parents playing. And he always says to the parents, let the child direct what's happening. So let's dive into more about exactly what that means, because it also touches on the follow the child's lead a little bit, but 
is a little bit different too. Um, so yeah, what did you think of Amanda when I first uh, approached that topic with you? What came to mind? Um, so actually the first thing I wanted to respond to, cause I don't want to forget it is we're talking about, um, that word inflexible and how, um, thinking of frustration tolerance as learning how to flex that muscle a little more, you know, and, and, and just li little bits of experiencing it in a safe space with another person frustration and building that frustration tolerance muscle because unfortunately we cannot live a frustration free life because that's not realistic so I kind of wanted to just touch on that because you had just said it um, and then as far as this concern is is really I really think about just the respect like how important it is in our work to respect the signals we're getting back from others and um so by allowing the child to be the director or allowing the child to say, uh, no, you know, and, and, and that can look really different. That can look like I'm going to put my body around what I'm doing and not let you see. That can look like moving over to the corner. That can look like, you know, a scream or a, a getaway. But respecting those gestures in in the ideas and finding another way to join. Yeah, and, and how about you, Mike? Well, first, before I dive into that, I wanna say thanks for the opportunity to lead the parent support group. Um, that was phenomenal. Uh, it was such a great group of people. And when I changed careers to get into this, uh, it was with the idea of, I found something amazing. I want to share it with other parents. So seeing that you've set up such a wonderful place uh, for people to come together and process that kind of stuff and support each other. Uh, it was just a privilege and honor. I was happy to do it. Um, so for- oh, Well, but let me, let me uh, add something to that. It, so it was ICDL that set it up. It, it wasn't my my idea, but I've been more than happy to take on the role um, in doing it, and it is enjoyable. And and I also wanted to mention because I'm assuming everybody heard the podcast we did before, but um, I mentioned that Mike's a licensed professional counselor. He became one after going through the journey of his son's own diagnosis and wanting to support his son and finding floor time and realizing this is where I need to be. And so um, I wanted to mention that to listeners who aren't familiar with you. Yeah, I've had this dream of one day writing a book, Raising Dad, and how um, my son taught me so much um, on, on this journey. But to get to the child as director, actually, that kind of fits in, doesn't it? Um, what I thought was well, to be honest, first I thought, I get to talk with Amanda and Daria. Sure, whatever. Uh, and then I thought child is director. Um, the last time that I was on your podcast and it's been, it has been too long, but I got to see you last year in person before, but uh, in the before times. So that was cool. Um, but you know how I am like, so into this idea of the hero's journey and this story and letting people, parents, kids, whoever it is, 
uh, define themselves and be the authors of their own story. So uh, this topic really resonated with me for that reason too, wanting to dig into uh, the bigger idea of identity and getting to tell your own story. So yeah, this thing can go all kinds of ways. Um, we can explore all kinds of stuff just off of that topic. And I'm happy to go with whichever direction or knowing my brain and Amanda's brains all directions. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Make that three of us. So yeah, that sounds great. Um, well, I guess, why don't we start with the idea, um, Amanda, of this prescriptive, without being prescriptive, idea of doing dedicated floor time sessions with our children and what, what that benefit, why that benefits our kids so much because, you know, we're not under stress, we're not pressured, having to run places, we're not trying to floor time in the middle of stressful situations. We, we have this nice, calm, hopefully playful, nice situation where we can start the floor time? Um, so I, you know, I, I always, you know, when I, when I start with either teaching or coaching, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sense of being overwhelmed if you read um, the child with special needs or, um, um, oh, engaging autism brain. Thank you. Now we are back online. <laughs> Dr. Greenspan's Sorry. books. Yeah. It was buffering. Um, about, you know, this prescriptive six times, 20 minutes. And I'm like, that is, that is a world that not every family lives in. Um, that is a very, very privileged place. And it is certainly something that a lot of families do and do commit to. Um, and so I always want to, you know, give parents this power of saying, you know, it, it doesn't have to look just like that, but let's try to get a couple a day where it's really just the phone is off, the sibling is occupied, you know, there's, there's not a lot of distractions, but it's just you and your child and we're going to shut the door, we're going to not have 5,000 toys. We're going to have just a few things that they enjoy and we're going to just go with it and then sit back and hush, <laughs> sit back and see what the child does and wait and watch and then join in and decide what you're going to do. But not thinking about oh, you know, I want to work on a certain level or I want to get some more language or just just play. Because I think that's, that... that's one of the freeing things about DIR. It, once you get into it is, yes, it, at the beginning, it may seem like a, oh, this is something I have to do great more on my plate. Um, but once you really buy into it once you know floor time really becomes your way of thinking about communication and relationships then it's it's easier to see that as a respite I don't here's a time where I don't have to um, you know as a parent I said this and I've heard lots of other parents say this 
I don't have any ideas. It's hard. You know, I have to keep coming up with things to, to get them engaged or to entertain them with. Um, especially once you get to FEDC4, um, that social problem solving where you're back and forth, your flow is going really good. Uh, this can really be a respite from thinking too, because we just want to see what the kid's idea is. What do you want to do? And I am right with you. And if it's you want to sit here in quiet, awesome. We can do that too. And enjoy, as Jackie Bartell likes to say, just being. We're human beings, not human doings. And when we first look at, like Amanda, you were saying, those six 20-minute things, it's like do. That's more do that we have, that we have on our plate. Um, but it, it can really be uh, amazing to just be with your child, just to be in that relationship. And that's one of the things that's driving me mad about COVID is our being with people has been affected so much by all this. Absolutely. And given that we get into the habit of doing this, like, okay, I'm going to take this time every evening after dinner or this chunk of time every Saturday morning or whatever it is. And I'm just going to see what ideas my child has, even if it doesn't seem like ideas to me, even if it doesn't seem like functional play to me, I'm just going to go with it. And um, working towards this child as the director and how it's so important. Um, let's take it to the next step where Amanda said, you've watched, you've, you've waited, you join in to what they're doing. This is the part where sometimes some parents might get the feeling that the child doesn't want me to play with them. So how do we take it from there and let that child be the director? So, um, you know, before just, you know, really recognizing, you know, those cues and respecting those cues and then trying to figure out another way in, um, you know, it might be not, you know, blocking the path of the way, you know, a, a car is going. It, it might be just hanging out and doing something similar next to them. Um, I often will do something similar, but just like really um, be excited about what I'm doing and be like, oh, wow, you know, oh, my guy's going really fast over here. Um, and just, you know, somehow peak interest. And so it's similar, but it's not like I'm going to do what you're doing. Like in, I'm not going to be a space invader. I'm not necessarily going to be right on you if you're giving me the cue that that's not what you want, but I'm going to hang with you. And if what you like doing is, you know, dropping um, these marbles and watching them bounce, I might not stop you from dropping marbles, but I might drop marbles near you. One mm -hmm. um, of my, favorite sessions that I show is of a dad um, whose son is dropping something sort of like marbles and he, he gets over there and he does it with them. And all of a sudden this child that, that had just been perimetering 
the whole session, like just every time dad tried to get in, moving away from you, moving away from you. All of a sudden we got this little head flipped over and it was like, you like watching it bounce too? Now, now this little boy didn't say that, but his eyes lit up and he looked at dad and dad's like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then they just kind of connected over it. So dad wasn't taking stuff away from him. Dad wasn't being overly loud and boisterous. Dad just hung out with it. And then that like evolved into lots of other things about things bouncing and dropping and over time, them doing things together with that. So that's one example. And, and I know when my son was younger, his favorite thing ever is every time we got to school, or after school, after I picked him up on the lawn, there were like a billion pine cones and he would just whip them one after another on the roof, throw, throw, throw. And like, everybody said, oh, like where, where are the scouts? Like they're going to draft this kid, you know, at age five, six, seven, because look at the arm on this kid and just throw, throw, throw. And so, you know, I, I could pick it up and throw it too. And I think, um, going to that next step where we expand and challenge once we have that flow where we're doing something together I might be like hey can I have a turn can I have a turn pass me a pine cone please and that may be rejected or he may give me one so do you want to take it from there Mike about that next step like or, or maybe you have an example of that first of all joining part where we're not sure. being too intrusive. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm typing down notes because my feeble brain can't keep up with all the things that I want to say. Um, so we were just talking about the child, you know, doesn't want somebody to play, doesn't want dad to play. And that rejection can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy if you see it as rejection. Um, so here's a really extreme example. I've had this happen with a couple of different kids over the years. And uh, so I used to work in early intervention, show up at the house for the first visit ever, knock on the door and uh, parent opens the door and the child sees, Oh no, there's another strange human at the door. And ah, they start cream, screaming and crying. And the parent tries to reassure him. It's okay. This is Mr. Mikey's here to play. And I reach out and I grab the handle and boom, close the door. And then I hear like, quiet from the parent, like what happened? And the kid slowly, you know, starts to come back down. So I knock on the door again, dad or, you know, mom opens the door. The kid sees me, starts crying again. I grab it and slam it. And the parents like, you can come in. I'm like, just hang on a second. A couple of seconds later, knock on the door and open it. And the kid cries again, but this time it's less. And it's like, what the heck is going on? So I said, not yet, close the door knock on the door again, this time open the door and the kid's looking at me like, dude, you are really weird. <laughs> so then I, I say, Is there, can I come in now? And I start to step in the door and I'm watching for the subtlest, tiniest little signal from the kid. And if they do anything like wider eyes or they lean back a little bit, nope, grab the door and slam it again. Uh, and I've done that before where it's taken 10 minutes to get in the house. But when I come in the house, it's because this kid that has never met me before 
comes to the door, opens it and lets me in. And that I think is kind of like the extreme of letting the child be the director. You know? it's, a meta- it's a metaphor for the entire concept. It's yeah. like it. That's like the best example ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, the kid is clearly communicating that I do not feel safe with this. And safe is such a fundamental, um, we really can't do anything if, uh, if whoever it is we're working with doesn't feel safe because then we're in this fight or flight. We are just in fear, just in fight or flight. So allowing a child to say no and respecting that can, it really can very, very quickly go from one extreme to the other, from that screaming and crying to the child opening the door, smiling and saying, get in here, you weird dude. You know, you're the first person who hasn't tried to make me do, do something. something. So you're- Or do you're something okay. to them. Yeah. Um, and I remember Jackie Bartell, I believe it was Jackie. I hope it was Jackie, had a similar example where she would drive to a house and the kid would scream. Oh, maybe it was Colette Ryan that had this example. Colette told me this story where she would come to the house, drive up, and the kid would start crying immediately. And it happened every time. Finally, she said to the mother, or, or, I, I, now I'm totally butchering the story, but it was something about the mother was so nervous that the crying was going to happen that the child also was nervous. And then when the mother um, was more comfortable about it, then it was okay. And I'm going to have to ask Colette about that story because that was not nearly as good as your story. But it was a similar idea where, you know, you're making the child feel safe with the stranger coming into the home. And what it made me think of as maybe a parent listening who has a newly diagnosed child because I know I went through this, going to all the appointments to get the diagnosis, to go to new OTs, new speech sessions and all that before I knew about floor time, people who weren't floor time people. And, you know, they come in, they start talking to you as if, you know, we got to get, we only have 45 minutes for the session. So you feel pressured. Like I got to get my kid in there and the kids just screaming, doesn't want to go in, trying to get out, trying to get out. And I remember Eunice Lee saying, that they would say, oh, we want to leave. And, oh, do you want to go in the hallway? And like, oh, no, the door's stuck and trying to do the floor time problem if the kid wasn't totally dysregulated, of course. But there's all different things you can do. But the type of thing you did took 10 minutes to get in the house, you said, as an example. But when we go to appointments, like even the dentist or something, that dentist doesn't have 10 minutes to do floor time with our kid until they feel safe to come in. And this is why parents listening and whoever we do this at home in a fun, safe place where we do have time so that when we do go to other places, maybe our child has some practice getting used to doing things that they're uncomfortable with. Positive experiences. Our brains are pattern recognizers and we see something that doesn't fit a pattern, our brains are supposed to alert to that. That's actually a good thing. Um, but we, we want that, uh, that defense, um, you know, to be useful. And there's a 
great book called Hey Warrior. Um, it's a kid's book uh, about anxiety and your amygdala is a guard and protects you. And what happens with anxiety is one time something slipped past the guard. So now the guard is hyper vigilant. I will never let that happen again. Halt, who goes there? No one gets in. Um, but through the positive experiences from the guard metaphorically or the child seeing that here was something that was unpredictable and scary and I made it through that experience okay. Hmm. So that's helping develop new patterns um, of safety too. And that's why all that practice is important. It's really just collecting experiences as Dr. Barbara Dunbar would say, um, and being able to draw from that to see new patterns and understand things and to feel more confident. So, you know, if it feels like your child is rejecting you, I know it's, hard, it's one of those things easier said than done. Don't take it personally, chase the why. Why is that child reacting the way they are? Like Amanda said, you know, about the example with the father who was kind of uh, modulating their emotions. So they weren't coming in too big and loud or too fast. You know, the more we understand about those that we're interacting with, the more we can do to tailor our interactions so that they will be predictable, so that the child will understand. And the whole time we're taking cues from them. So think about the idea of child as a director, thinking about movie director, this also kind of works as like a director for uh, an orchestra, you know, where signaling your, now is your cue, now is when you can do this, or, you know, bring it down a little bit, bring it up a little bit, and really paying attention to that. And communication can be so subtle, and there's so many ways to communicate things. Um, the more we understand, the more we can pick up on um, what the child is communicating to us, uh, the better we can tailor our interactions for it to be predictable for them and safe. And Amanda, do you find that this is easier for parents who are struggling with that to grasp if they take videos and then review the video? I, I'm, I really find that just like kind of the, the process of, of revisiting what is there when you're not experiencing all the feelings and all your own things, like even as a clinician and revisiting it and seeing what's going on. Um, I was just talking to somebody about a video and um, the um, mom they were working with, you know, really was like, oh, so when can we throw in, you know, um, a, a, you know, an ACC device, you know, AAC device. And, um, and help them out. And I was like, we're, we need to be way more robust in noticing all the gestural communication and sound communication that was happening with this child. I was like, it's so hard in the moment, but then to go back and be able to sit with someone and say, look right here, look, look how he you know, reaches for you. Look at how he looks at you. Um, look at how he leans into you. Um, this is all communication and this is all the stuff that's happening and we need more of this before we start adding more layers to it. 
So I think the video really helps and it's hard. It's hard to watch yourself on video. I hate watching myself on video. Um, I hate staring at myself on zoom at this point. (laughs) I'm a little zoomed out, but um, you know, it's, it is helpful. And it's one of those things where, again, I feel like it's one more thing we're asking parents to do, but I really try like, just, just, just three minutes, just, just any, just grab your phone. If they're playing with their, you know, siblings or, or if something's just going well and it's not a big distraction, like it, the house doesn't have to be clean, you know, nothing, there can be, you know, it can be loud in the background. Just let's just look at it um, and think about it out of the moment and then think about maybe how it felt in the moment. And I think it does take practice to read those cues in our children for some parents more than others. Like I noticed that um, while I feel like I attune emotionally to my child in certain situations when he's distressed better than my husband does, my husband's much better cue reader than I am in other situations. Like he picks up right away and notices like, oh, he's hungry. Oh, he's tired. Oh, look at those eyes. You're so exhausted. And like, just went right over my head. So, I mean, different parents see different things. And and also with practice, you start to notice. um, How do you coach parents, Mike, to really look at those cues? And I did do a podcast about um, cue reading with Colette Ryan that I'll link to in, in the write-up blog post of our, our podcast today. But how do you coach parents into really picking up on those cues? Uh, well, the, the easiest thing to do is, you know, to, to be able to see it, to see what's going on. So you asked about recording earlier. Um, you know, if a, a parent uh, is having a particular experience, if something happens a certain way and they're not getting it to record it and then um since i have seen uh i don't even know hundreds of kids over the last decade or so um i I've, i've collected a whole bunch of experiences and seen a whole bunch of ways that kids can communicate it's not that i'm smart or anything special as far as that goes it's just i've seen more stuff so i can point out to a parent, like Amanda would say, did you see that? The kid just suddenly did something. They blinked or they turned their head a little bit or they took a little bit of a breath. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we, we kind of miss that stuff. Um, so just having the opportunity to point that out, whether it's, um, you know, in a session in person, yay, over Zoom, eh, um, or, you know, just watching a video together. Uh, I think that can help. It's practice and seeing different ways. And honestly, I mean, if you blink, you might miss something or if you turn away camera lets you see behind your back, lets you see stuff that you would actually miss. It's not that you didn't understand the cue, but you, you it didn't connect at all because you didn't see it. Um, so that I think is uh, really helpful to do that. And just the waiting and watching. Uh, a lot of times we feel pressure to do something, to jump in, to make something happen, especially when we're on video or when somebody's watching. You know, a therapist comes in and they're judging how I interact with my kid. They're judging my 
uh, my ability as a parent. That was really hard for me as a parent, um, thinking that, you know, the, the whole imposter syndrome thing, I don't know what I'm doing and someone's coming in to judge me and to correct me. And floor time is this strengths-based way of understanding relationships and communication. So it's not about what you missed or what you did wrong. It's about your strengths and your connection. You know, you did that uh, podcast recently with uh, Amanda and Morgan um, about relationships and how that is so important. I'll never have a connection with a kid like a parent does. So with floor time, I want them to be the one that's having the great experience with their kid, not me. Um, and I want them to be able to have that more, more often, more robustly, more rich and in more places, more context, more scenarios. Um, and that kind of comes back around to the idea of frustration tolerance too. Um, well, right. For both sides. Because, yeah. Because we're going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. We're going to read the cue wrong. We're going to do the wrong thing. And if you're having a respectful interaction and a respectful relationship, you can repair that rupture. You can hang in that, like you were saying earlier, that, oh, oh, we, yep, okay, you don't want me to do that, you know, and, and, and give it space, you know, give it space to flex that muscle of you're going to be wrong some of the time. And that helps us learn how to do it better or it helps us be in that discomfort of sometimes, you know, mom missed it completely or the therapist missed it, you know, okay. We're here together. We can sit in this and, and figure it out. Yeah. My son's 23 now. Um, and he is really good at some things that I am terrible with. His memory is so good uh, that a lot of times I, I will try to, you know, normalize differences. There's nothing wrong. Um, but, you know, I'll say, Brendan, can you help me with such and such? Why do I have to help you do it? Because my brain sucks at that. I need, I need help. And you're really good at it. So I'll do this. And if you can help with this part, then it'll, it'll be good. We'll be together. Um, and yeah, that it's frustration tolerance. We, we only grow through stress, right? I mean, if you want to get stronger, Daria, you know, this, you know, building muscles or whatever you have to, you have to push them, right. Get, uh, put extra stress, extra weight, um, on what you're doing. And if we want to, our minds to get stronger, you have to think about more and bigger problems on our emotions. If we want to get stronger emotionally. We have to have big emotions and come through them. And I think it's a neat reminder to share with people anytime they're struggling is so far your, um, your rate for making it through stressful situations is a hundred percent, right? You're here. So you've made it through every bad thing that happened. And that turns back to, like floor time does, you know, the strengths and focusing on hope and potential and possibility instead of pathology. And I don't think we can stress enough 
that whole piece, which is so hard for so many parents to do, not to their fault at all. It's hard for me to do, to really stop ourselves from correcting, jumping in, directing. Um, I don't want to say soothing because we want to soothe our kids, of course, but to make everything better. Um, that whole, oh, oh, you didn't like that. That's so important to acknowledge because that's when our kids realize like they heard, they saw, they understood, they listened, they respected. And it's so easy to just dismiss that, but that's the most important thing, like to getting your kid to realize that guy at the door who keeps knocking and slamming it shut. Oh, he's actually not going to try and threaten me. He's respecting my wishes. And I know that because when I screamed, he closed the door. And when I cried, he closed the door. And when I looked scared, he closed the door. And then when I welcomed him, him in, he came in. So that's, if we can just give one takeaway to parents from today's podcast, I would say, try that with your child. If, if you, you know, it's so we're always in a rush and, and maybe less so with the pandemic in some cases, maybe more because our kids are at home. We're trying to work at home too. It depends on everybody's situation, but we're rushed. We're trying to get to this meeting. We're trying to get food ready. We're trying to do this. And you're saying, child, do this child, come here, child, do this. And they might go ah! or whatever. My, my son's latest thing is ah! when he gets upset and right, take that as a cue try and remember at least once in the next week to stop yourself and go, you didn't like that. Just acknowledge that. Yeah. And use, you know, your relationship with the child and what they communicate as your guide, but you can even join them in that. I know. Right. I don't like this either. Ah. Mm -hmm. This is hard right now. Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> Yep. <laughs> this is, you know, this is uncomfortable, but this is where, where we are, you know? Yeah. Just sitting in that space, as you said, Amanda, just sitting in that space with them. Um, and, and let's move on to the um, part where we're playfully being a playful pest, I believe, is the way Dr. Greenspan worded it. So I gave the example of, um, you know, saying to my son, oh, come on, give me a pine cone to throw. Come on, please. I want one. And then he might ignore me and throw it. And I'll be like, oh, I wanted one, too. Oh. And then they may still ignore me. And then I'll go back again and I'll say, I'm coming to grab a pine cone. I'm going to grab it for, before you do. And maybe I like steal the pine cone that he's about to pick up. And then I throw it and I say, oh, that was so fun. And then, ah, oh, you didn't like that. Oh, there's all different in infinite way, infinite ways that you could, you know, get in there and obstruct what they're doing and, and try and get them to tolerate a little bit of frustration to try and overall get them more used to being flexible around that. Um, but again, like, like Mike said, the number one thing is that they feel safe first. We're not doing that when they're screaming the whole time. No. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You said persistent pest, but to add another P because I love alliteration, we want the persistent pest to be a partner, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want the, the persistent pest can't be the opponent. So and, uh, and we can add a fourth, we can add a fourth P, playful, persistent partner pest. <laughs> yep. And uh, Dr. Kathy Platzman, another uh, amazing mentor that Amanda and I have here in Atlanta, uh, when she talks about playful obstruction, she says it has to be big P, little O. And then I added to that. Otherwise, instead of playful obstruction, it's painfully obnoxious. Um, so one of the keys to being that persistent pest, like you said, is playful. The kid has to be in on the joke. We're not their opponent. We're with them in it. And really, that's what I was doing at the door when the child was saying, I don't feel safe is I was, okay, I get it, I'm not coming in. Do you feel safe now? Nope, okay. How about now? How about now, how about now, how about now? Um, so I'm being persistent and it's not what they want. I, their immediate want or need, talk about following the child's lead as an idea too, following a child's lead or child's need, as they say at the Rebecca school, um, following the child's need, their need is for safety. And what they're communicating is no. So I respect that. But I really want to be with you. So I'm not going to give up or I'm not going to leave because something's uncomfortable. I'm going to stay with you. But I want you to have as much control. I want you to feel as safe as you can. Uh, and in classes, Amanda, I'm sure you get this a lot too. You know, we teach floor time. And uh, so many times a therapist come in and, you know, what they want, they do a presentation at the end. They're like, I want to, how do I, how do I challenge this child? You know, how do we move up the ladder? Well, you, you, you don't push them up the ladder. Um, we want to be a partner and be with them, support them, help them feel good, help them feel safe. The way that I describe it, I love metaphors and symbols, is we open a door, show them, hey, look outside. Don't want to. Cool, you don't have to. But, you know, there's something kind of cool outside. You go, no? Okay. I can do that. So that way they feel safe because the world is not going to stop because something's uncomfortable. COVID. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, we don't have to look for ways to create problems. Uh, I, in early intervention, you know, so many times I would hear another therapist or a parent or somebody say, you know, well, the kid has to learn that the world doesn't revolve around them. Do you really think that's a risk? You think this kid might make it to 50 and still think that the world revolves all around them? I don't think that's their biggest worry. Um, the world's going to make make sure that we get it that we're not the center. But we want people to know they're not alone wherever they are. Yeah. In that. And so, Amanda, do you have any tips for when you come across in your practice parents who say that to you? They'll say that. They, he can't, 
he can't go on thinking that everything's all about him. Like he won't let us in to do anything. Everything has to be his way or the highway. Um, so I talk a lot about um, triage and, and, and what are we at risk for here? Um, kind of similar to what Mike's, you know, talking about. Um, I mean, I talk about it on a variety of issues, like with things like sleep and to, I don't even want to go to potty training, but I mean, you, I'm always like, I don't care where they sleep as long as everyone's sleeping. Like right now, sleep is more important than location. You know, as it's long a as fundamental regulator. It's yeah, everyone's got to sleep. Like, do not stay up all night fighting your kid about if, if they want to be on a mat on the floor in your room, if they, you know, however, whatever works so that everybody sleeps because it will evolve. Um, and so I, I will talk a lot about the, the triage, you know, um, we, we live, you know, in North America with this like, you know, kindergarten tabletop readiness and kids should know this by this point in time. And, um, you know, and it was again, Barbara Dunbar, you know, we are, we're creating a foundation for a hundred years and it really doesn't matter if they don't do math until they're seven. Because right now you're trying to force something on a child and they're not even, you know, with you where we have other kids that are really into their letters and numbers. And that's really regulating. That's why we talk about individual differences. Um, and so I'll, I will go just back to that, you know, that, that triad that, well, you know, I know this feels super pressing to you, but let's work on just getting more back and forth let's just hang out in this and then see what, what happens. And I'm very fortunate that I'm, I have a case right now where I have just, the, the family is just so invested and they get that he's little, he's like three. And we, we literally see like every two or three weeks, you know, a little more of that frustration tolerance muscle of letting someone into the play, you know, where we started if someone tried to join, you know, there's some figure play going on, he would take that figure and chuck it. Anytime you had a new idea, he would go to something else like that you wanted to join. And now he's like doing all this stuff with us. But then sometimes like it gets going and he's good. And he's like, and I'm gonna go over here and crash on the cushions for a minute. Cause you guys are, are being too much. But it's, it's growing without demand it's it's growing because we're in it together and we're listening to this child and we're worried much less about how many words he's getting out and it is helpful to have a therapist in the background going at the end do you notice how much spontaneous language we saw today like we didn't ask him to say anything but it was coming out. That was really kind of cool. You know, and just, did you, did you notice that he let you play this time and he didn't chuck it across the room? And so I think, you know, having someone help guide you with that is, is, is so helpful. Um, and I don't know, I might've tangent a little bit, but, but, you know, just that, you know, triaging and like, what's the most, important thing is and it's not about do you know what level this or do you know vestibular system but 
how about we just find a place where we're all calm and we feel good? Let's start there. Get that emotional anxiety guard to take a break a little bit. Yeah. So. And, and I know, um, Mike, you have an appointment to get to. Do you have any last words on this topic that you wanted to share with us? Um, can, do, can we like do another two or three hours? <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> yeah, there, oh, there's always so much amazing stuff to think about, to talk about, to share. Um, and ultimately, that's what this is all about. Right, we want parents and kids to to feel safe and to be able to share, not just share needs, but wants, and just to connect for the sake of connecting. Share to share to have a relationship. Um, and like Amanda said, you know, we're building a relationship, or we're, we're building a foundation for a hundred years. So, yeah, I guess last thoughts for me would be just to, you know, it's, it's a journey. Cliche, sorry. Um, yeah, but, you know, we can just be in the moment. You know, the future, yes, we need to think about the future, but we also can't be hijacked by it. If we're, if we're looking down the road, we're going to trip over whatever is right in front of us. And our children are going to, if we're not respecting them and, and acknowledging when they say no and, and letting them know that we understand, they're going to get the message, oh, that person doesn't get me, that person doesn't get me, that person's not listening, that person doesn't respect me, that person doesn't understand, and that's just going to make the barrier bigger and bigger between you to get forward in those early capacities of interactions, social interactions. So letting the child lead the way within whatever structure we provide, letting them have control over as much as we can, I think is, um, is so powerful for our kids. So I, I wanna thank you both for discussing this topic and I will put links to a bunch of the things Mike mentioned and, and blog posts I mentioned at affectautism.com with today's blog post. Thank you both so much. Thank you thank so much you. for having us. Yeah, it was awesome. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.